0: To psalm 100. Psalm 100. Again, this is a psalm. Uh, it's a song of praise for the Lord's faithfulness to His people. So it's a th- it's a song of thanksgiving. This psalm is a psalm of meaningful praise. It, it's 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 charged with 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 praise. And it's a a psalm that follows a set of royal psalms, as we've been studying, you know, Psalms 93 through 99, and, you know, some add other um, psalms to this list, but nonetheless, you know, royal psalms. Uh, Maybe it was the ancient scribes that felt that the royal psalms needed this response of worship provided by this particular psalm. And the phrase, a psalm of thanksgiving, refers to a public recognition of the Lord. And the psalm is a fitting way to end the collection of royal psalms, and it sums up their emphasis on God's sovereign rule, His goodness to His people, the responsibility of all nations to acknowledge Him, and how important it is for God's people to exalt and worship Him as well. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul admonishes the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit of God. And then the evidence of this fullness of this filling is that we are joyful and that we are thankful and that we're submissive. In Colossians 3.16-25, through 25, we're instructed to be filled with the Word of God. And when we are, we will be joyful, we will be thankful, and we'll be submissive. Now, these three characteristics of the believer, joyful, thankful, and submissive, Uh, controlled by God are controlled by God's spirit and God's word and they go together and and they're presented in this psalm of thanksgiving the theme of the psalm is an invitation to come into God's presence joyfully and his faithfulness is offered to our generation and future generations the author is unknown this is the only psalm in the book of psalms that's specifically a psalm for giving thanks now there are other psalms that do give thanks But this psalm is the only one that's clearly recognized as a psalm for giving thanks. And it's the perfect example of thanksgiving. It's not hard to study. It has seven important commands. And it has two explanations of why we should give thanks. And the first one is halfway through the psalm and the other is at the end. This psalm gives us a statement of how to give thanks It gives an explanation for us, I'm sorry, it gives an explanation of why God's people must give thanks. It gives an invitation to give thanks, and fourth, it it gives a final great expression of praise of thanksgiving. There's three ways to give thanks. When somebody has done something special for us, uh, we don't often ask ourselves, now, what can I do for that person to show them my thanks? Thanks. So think about it for a moment. If it's hard to know how to show appreciation to a human being, how much harder is it to show appreciation to God? How should we show him our appreciation? Think about that. For starters, we can thank him by giving him something, but again, what do we have that he needs? You know, what 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 can we give God that, that he can use or that he needs? So knowing that there's nothing that we have that he can use or that he that he needs, what can we do? Well, verse 1 recommends three things. Let's look at verse 1 of Psalm 100. Here it is. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Number 1. Secondly, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. I'm kind of jumping ahead. But the first one is that we can make a joyful shout. Now that sounds like a weird thing to do. It sounds like a weird place to start. Especially because the psalm pictures God's people giving thanks together in God's house. Should we really do something like that? Should we come to God's house to shout? Well the Hebrew word originally meant a glad shout. For example, like royal subjects might do when the king appears to them. You know, they, they shout, oh, king! And, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, giving respect and praise and adoration by shouting, oh, king! Or, there's the king! And, and, you know, the emphasis is on gladness. So this should be obvious from verses 1 and 2 since the idea of joy appears three times. It's, uh, the, we, the idea of, of joy appears three times. We see joy in the word there, we see gladness, and we see joyful. Verse 1 says, shout. Again, shout is a highly charged command, a highly emotional charge or command for public praise. The command isn't given just to Israel, though. It's given to all the earth. Notice again in verse 1, it says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, everybody. So the Israelites were to be a people who would attract the nations to worship God. And you as Christians, that's what we're called to do. You know, we're, we're called to be a light to a dark world. We're, 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 given, we're, we're called to, to attract people to the worship of God, to draw them to the worship of God. It would be right to communicate this idea by saying that God's people are to praise God loudly because they're happy with him. The second thing that we can do to praise him, notice again in verse two, is to serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. So we can serve the Lord with gladness. That is, we can worship the Lord with gladness. That is, a joyful abandon, a joyful recklessness was not the only mood of worship in old Israel, but there was a great emphasis on it. The psalmist now is suggesting that we serve God by our worship. Look at verse 4. He says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. We'll get back to verse 3. We didn't skip it. But the psalmist is suggesting, again, that we serve God by our worship. Entering into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Entering his gates, notice with what? Thanksgiving and praise. Not murmuring and complaining. We need to show people that God does not need slaves chained to his throne to decorate his throne you know, and, and to make him uh, impressive. Service with murmuring is a disservice. God doesn't get blessed when we come and, and complain and murmur. We need to let our gladness tell other people, you know what, we serve a wonderful master. We serve a good God. Exodus 21, one says, if you buy Hebrew, if you, if you bought a Hebrew slave, the law said he may serve for no more than six years. And then in the seventh year, you were to set him free. And then he will owe you nothing for his freedom. But here's the neat thing. The the slave might say, you know what, at the end of that time, when he's able to go free, he says, Hey, I love my master. He says, and he says, I don't want to go free. And if he does this, the master would present himself before God. Then the master would take him to the doorpost and and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. And after that, the slave would be, again, would be with his master for life. A picture of what we should be with our our Lord and our Savior, our master. Again, a slave a servant to him for life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I know this pertains to our giving of our, of our finances, but I believe it's a principle for everything that we give to the Lord as well. Whatever we give to him is to be not grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully. You know, giving is not something we do. It's something that we are. And giving is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. I mean, when we understand the grace of God and what God has done through us, and all we have to do is look at the cross. We look at the cross and we see what God has done for us. Giving shouldn't be a problem. The world simply doesn't understand a statement like this about giving, giving cheerfully. The giving is to be from the heart, Paul said. And you know what? If God has your heart, he has all of you. If God has your heart, he has everything else that you own. Anything that we do for the Lord needs to be from our heart. Anything that we do needs to be from our heart. The desire in giving to God, it has to be right. It has to be right. Not grudgingly, Paul said, or out of necessity. The word grudgingly means sorrow or grief. We're not sorrowful and grieving that we have to give it. In other words, you you don't regret giving the gift, wishing that you hadn't given it. Necessity means to be controlled by circumstances to give when you'd rather not. You know, and if, if, if you know, many of you came from Gold Springs and I can hear Raul say, if you don't want to give, go spend it at McDonald's. <laughs> he said that all, all, all the time when it came to this passage, man. But you get the idea, you know. God doesn't, want, God doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. But giving to God gives us an opportunity to worship through our giving. And you know, we need to remember. The only reason we have it is that God enabled us to get it. We're just giving back to him what he already gave us. So, again, not out of necessity. The proper desire for our giving, whatever it is what we give to God, is to be cheerful. I am to be a cheerful giver of my finances, my time, my service, my posi- whatever it might be. I need to be happy in giving, to have joy in my giving. And Paul hit it right on the nail when he said in Colossians three twenty three and 24, and whatever you do, and that's, Basically, whatever you do, do it heartily, not half-hearted, hearted with all your heart, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And we need to remember what Jesus said about the righteous who will be praised on the day of judgment. He says, because when the Lord was hungry, they gave him something to eat. When he was thirsty, they gave him something to drink. When he was a stranger, they, they, they invited him in. When he needed clothes, they clothed him. When he was sick, they took care of him. And when he was in prison, they visited him. And then when the righteous questioned him about what he said, they said, well, well Lord, when did, we, when, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or, or when did we see you when you needed clothing and we clothed you? when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And he said, well, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. You see, Jesus measures our love for him by our yieldedness to God. We can thank God by feeding the hungry. We can thank God by inviting the poor to have dinner with us. 99% of the time, we always invite those that we know, those that we hang out with. But we can invite those that don't have, aren't able to put a dinner on their table. We can thank God by welcoming strangers. Because there are so many people who are totally alone. They need to be included in family times by the body of Christ, church people. The Bible says in Psalm 68, 6 the, that, that God sets the solitary in families. The word solitary means the lonely. God sets the lonely in families. How does He do that? by having families include them. And that's something that nearly every family can do. We can also thank God by giving clothes to those who don't have any or who don't have a lot, who lack in clothing. We can, we can you know, uh, thank God by, by taking care of those who are sick or those who don't have proper care. And Christians shouldn't just care for, care for but even stay with those who are sick and dying. We can do this by visiting the sick or the dying. By, we can do this in, uh, by a, ver- a variety of hospital and nursing homes. For instance, a convalescent ministry. We can thank God by visiting people in prison. Thank God for prison ministries. Many have come to know the Lord through prison ministries. Many women, men, women like I say, they've come through, through the, to the Lord through those prison ministries. Third, it says here that we can come into his presence with singing. Another way that we can thank God. This refers to formal worship. Because the psalm describes the people of God coming to Jerusalem and its temple. This is how we are to thank God. By serving others. But you see, we're to worship him as well. In other words, faith and works go together. You know, a social gospel alone is enough. Just sharing the word all right you know telling somebody about the love of god isn't enough it has to be followed by doing and in these words here in verses one and two we see the word shout we see the word serve and we see the words come they include our verbal witness our charitable works and worship those are three basic parts of christianity now why must we give god thanks let's go back to verse three now Uh, here's why we must give God thanks. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves and we are his people and then sheep of his pasture. Why must we give God thanks? Well, the command here in this psalm is, is, is to know him. It's so important. The psalmist tells us to acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now, how can we do that? Well, we acknowledge him when we shout our praises. When we appreciate who he is, that is his status as our creator. And, and, and we accept his authority in every detail of our life. And we accept his authority in every detail of our life enthusiastically. And we we agree with the guidance he gives us and we give him our thanks for his unfailing love. Why must we give thanks? It's because he's our creator. Verse three says, "Know that the Lord He is God." Notice, it is He who has made us. God is our Creator. We didn't create ourselves. A lot of people live as though, as if they, they as if they are the Creator, as if they're self-made. They're the center of their own little world. This kind of le, of thinking leads to pride. It leads to greed and idolatry. And if everything should be taken away, guess what? They lose hope itself. But on the other hand, when we realize that God created us and that he gives us everything that we have, we will want to give to others like God gave to us. Then even if it's all lost, guess what? We still have God and we have all that he has given us. So the, the psalmist here is telling us that our thanksgiving to God must be intelligent. We have to know who we're thanking. How many times did you say, oh, I thank my lucky stars. Oh, I thank the gods above. The Greeks in Athens, they worshiped an unknown God. And Paul told them that what you worship is unknown. I'm going to tell you about that unknown God. Because you see, we can't thank God or worship God correctly if we don't know him. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, Knows in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. And he went on to say, Jesus, and the Father is seeking such to worship him. Those are the ones that God is seeking to worship him. Those who know him. Those who can worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is it that we should know about God? Well, verse 3 gives us a couple of answers. Again, let's look at it again. Know that the Lord, here it is, he is God. And he is the one who has made us. We didn't make ourselves. And he says, and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So the psalmist, you know, makes it known there in in these, in verse three. First, the psalmist lets us know that he's our creator. Secondly, the psalmist lets us know he's our redeemer. And that's what it means when the psalmist said, it is he who made us and it's not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So the first thing we need to know here is the connection between knowing God as creator and knowing ourselves as his creature. He made us, we didn't make ourselves. And when we know God, we'll know ourselves and the only way we really know ourselves is by knowing God because he tells us who we are. Knowing God and knowing ourselves always go together. But there are two specific things. First, knowing God as creator What happens when we don't know God as creator? Well, we think we're our own creators. And sometimes we do this by rationalizing, and here's how we do it. This is what lies, this is is what lies, uh, or makes the continual attractiveness of evolution appealing. Now, a theory that has very little of any true evidence to support it. The reason people like evolution is because it does away with the need for God. And evolution, in its own way, explains how things got started, how we got here. And without any creative force behind it. You know, basically we started as some, some cell that, that crawled out of, of some primordial ooze. And as it crawled out, you know, it crawled upon the ground, and then it crawled, crawled over a rock, and, and as it crawled over the rock, it caused a bump, you know, and that bump turned into a leg, and here we are. Pretty simple, but pretty hard to believe. You know, they, they talk about creation being hard to believe. I know a professor said, I'd rather believe in the impossible than the unthinkable. Impossible, again, being... Uh, you know, uh, creation versus unthinkable evolution so naturally if there's no creator there's no god we don't need to be accountable so we don't need to be thankful why shouldn't we if there's no god because we got here by ourselves all by our little old selves no outside help so again we have no one to thank but ourselves we did it all on our own thank you Another way we think we're our own creator is by irrational admiration of our capabilities and our accomplishments. I am so good. Look what I've done. I did it all on my own. Only when we know God as our creator do we know ourselves as his creatures and we find ourselves correctly thanking him, thankful to him. Secondly, we need to know God as redeemer. Even more important than knowing God as creator is knowing him as redeemer, which is what the words here, his people and sheep of his pasture really refer to. You see, if we didn't have any other reason why we should thank God, it would surely be because he's made us and he's, and he's redeemed us. And nobody should be more thankful to God than the sheep who are cared for by our Lord, our redeemer, our source, and our sustainer. Another thing that we need to see here is what's suggested by these words, he who has made us. If God really made us and not we ourselves, and if we're his because he made us, then we're his to do with as he sees best. Has he given us days of unusual prosperity? Yeah, he has. And if he has, it's, you know, it pleased him to do it. So you know, we need to be thankful to him for being the good and generous God that he is. Has he given us days of trouble and trials or sorrow? Yeah, probably more so than the, than the prosperous days. But if he has, we must thank him for that as well, knowing that he's all wise and he's gracious even in allowing the hard times in our life. Paul said in Ephesians 5 20, give thanks always for all things, not some things, not just the good things, but he said, giving thanks always for all things to God, the father. In first Thessalonians 5 18, Paul said in everything, give thanks to the Lord for this is the will of God. The good and the bad. Ecclesiastes says they're both appointed by God. Paul said in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, hey, I've learned how to get along happy in my life. He said, whether I have a little or a lot, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be happy with that. He says, I know how to live in almost nothing. I know how to live with everything. Because he said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. He says, whether it's on a full stomach or empty. Whether it's with a lot or a little. He says, because I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength that I need. In other words, Paul was saying that his ability to enjoy life It didn't come from the the, the things that I had outwardly. It didn't come from my possessions or my belongings. It didn't come based on how much money I had in the bank. Paul was saying that his ability to enjoy life came from the inside. It was a matter of character and not his circumstances. It's the idea of being self contained, adequate, not needing anything from the outside. Paul carried within himself everything that he needed, all the resources that he needed for facing life fearlessly and getting the victory over his difficulties. Do you know where Paul was, we spoke about this morning? Do you know where Paul was when he wrote those words in Philippians 4 11 through 13 that I have learned to, to, to get along, whether I have a lot or little? He was in jail, he was in prison. Philippians is a small book, but you know what? The words "joyful" and "joy" or "joyful" "joyful" and "rejoice" are written throughout it. He wrote about being joyful and rejoicing while he was in prison. Again, the letter where these words were written is so full of thanksgiving. Paul was Nero's prisoner. And, like I said, in Philippians, the words joy and rejoice are found often in it. You see, because right Christian experience is what flows out of the life, nature, and mind of Jesus living in us no matter what our circumstances are. And there's one more thing to point out here in the words, we are His, there in verse 3. We are His. And you know what? And that is no matter what happens to us, we are always His. No matter what happens, troubles will come. Troubled times are promised to us, but no matter how bad or how long they, they, they last, we're his. If we experience sickness, guess what? We are his. We might lose a job, but you know what? We are his. We may lose a loved one. We are his. Whatever happens to us, we are his, and we always will be his. Why? Because Jesus himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus himself said, I am with you always. Paul said in Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. Verse 4 enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful to him and bless his name now in this text in this part in this next part of the song we're invited now to thank god and once again there's three strong commands he said enter he said be thankful which means give thanks and praise and as we said before our thanks to god should be shown by what we do for others But when we get to verse 4, the emphasis is clearly on God's people getting together at the temple to thank and praise God together. This isn't just a way of saying that it's good to go to church, even though it is. But it teaches us that there's a special part of thanksgiving that that involves all of God's people together and not just the personal prayers of individuals. And this is what we should naturally expect. Because when God called us to Christ, He didn't call us to be isolated. But He called us to be His elect people together, sharing a common bond, a common possession, which is Jesus Christ. We all share that common possession, that common bond, which is Christ. So this means that those that we should give thanks uh, for other believers, we should give thanks for other believers. And we should practice being responsible towards these other believers by encouraging a thankful response in them toward God. Thank you, God, for my fellow brothers and sisters. Now, how do we thank God? Well, one way is by inviting others to join us in that thanksgiving. We can ask others to go to church with us. This is how the psalm starts. Notice, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. So in verse 1, the psalmist is inviting all the people of the world to join us in praising God. Verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Verse 5 explains why we should thank God. Why? Because He is good. God is so good. Because of his character. Verse 3 says that we should thank God because of what he's done. He's made us and he's remade us. In other words, he made us through our first birth and he remade us through the second birth. Born again. In other words, he's made us and he's redeemed us. He's our creator, he's our redeemer. Both. And then verse five calls us to thank God because of who he is. It tells us three things about God. It says, first of all, God is good. The heathens gods weren't good. They were unpredictable. They were selfish. They could be cruel. You never knew what they might do. You never knew if they were going to turn against you or hurt you. But thank God our God is not like that. The true and living God of the Bible has always been good for the very reason he can't be bad. And scripture tells us that 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 you know Jesus went about doing good and that that you know everything he did he did well. When he created, when God created the world and everything in it, he looked at it and he said it was good. It was good. He, how can it not be? When he gave us his law in Romans 7:12, his law was good. When he reveals his will to us, his will is good, pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 2. The word gospel means the good news. Think of it. The word God itself is a a letter short. It's a short version of good. It's just missing a no. God is just missing a no to make the word good. That's why the, the, the psalmist cried out, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. The second thing we see about God in verse five is that God is love. It says his mercy or his love is everlasting. God is a lot of things and he has a lot of qualities, but nothing lies so much at the heart of God God, as love. God is love. And nothing causes others to love him so much as his love for them. You know, 1 John 4, 19 said, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. The third thing we see in verse 5 about God is that He's faithful. It says, His truth endures to all generations. God is not a liar. He cannot lie. God is faithful. We live in a world that is always changing. And today things are changing faster than ever before. They're changing so fast that we can't keep up with the changes. In a world that is constantly changing all the time, it is so comforting to know that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what? I don't go to bed worried at night that I might wake up the next morning wondering if God still loves me. Or is God still going to take care of me? Or has He changed His mind about me? Or have things changed since I went to bed last night? No, I wake up with the same sense of my God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's still my God, and He still loves me, regardless of what I did the night before, what I might do the day after. He's going to love me, and He's going to continue to to lead me and guide me. He's unchanging. He's the same God today that He was for our fathers and mothers, for Paul and Mary and Joseph and David, and all the, the, the patriarchs. God was good then, so he'll always be good. You never have to worry that he might stop being good or change his good and loving ways. God has been loving in the past, so he'll always be loving because his nature is loving. He can't do anything but love. You don't ever have to worry that God is going to stop loving you because he can't do anything else but love you. So in closing, has God gotten you through tough times before very few christians have been able to avoid hard times totally i mean because they're they're promised to us i mean just this life alone we experience problems but jesus said we're going to have trials we're going to have tribulations those who have gone through tough times they can tell you that god has sustained them that God has kept them through it all. He has kept them secure through it all. Whatever might come, He will do the same for you. Who has a greater reason to thank God than those that He's redeemed? You know, who, who, who's, who's given us eternal life, you know, who, 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 who's saved us from hell. Those who know him not just as their creator, but also as their loving shepherd and Lord. And we have all the reason in the world to thank him. Then we also need to make a joyful shout to the psalmist here, like the psalmist here, where it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Father, thank you for being such a good God. Father, for an immutable God that is unchanging, for a God that does not lie, that cannot lie, will not lie, for being a faithful God, a merciful God, our creator, our source, our sustainer, We could go on all night just talking about how good you are, Lord. About everything that you are and all that you do for us, Lord. Thank you, Father. And I pray that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But if you're here tonight and you don't know him, and we pray that the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart about how good he is, that he has, saved, he has made a way of salvation where we can be born again a second time, spiritually speaking, our sins forgiven, forgotten, erased, remembered no more by God, buried in the deepest parts of the sea. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you're not sure whether you do or not, you can be sure. As we spend this time in worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you get up out of your seat, you make your way towards the steps up front, I'll meet you there, and then when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.